I'm Jimmy Young, the founder of Pro Cannabis Media. Always happy to be joined by Josh um, Kincaid from the Talking Hedge out in Washington State and Doug Miller from New Jersey. Joining us now on our Zoom room are two dispensary principals. Uh, one is Rob DeFazio from CNA Stores in Massachusetts, and the other is Mitch Trellis from Remedy in Maryland. So we've got a Massachusetts and a Maryland going, and uh, Maryland, now Mitch, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys just voted that in, and you were, were you one of the first to open your doors for adult use? So we're not open for adult use yet. Okay. We actually, our program, our adult use program officially starts July 1st. We're still in the uh, legislative period. Uh, there's a bunch of conversation right now being had in our le legislature about the exact specifics of when and how we will be starting our adult use program. We believe it's going to start July 1st. Our legislators are uh, adamant that we're not going to have a New York City situation on our hands. So, <laughs> so we expect them to start quicker, rather sooner rather than later. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll know more in the next 30 to 60 days. Yeah, and, and I know Rob can talk about this. When Massachusetts first passed it at the ballot box 2016, we know that there was a gray area going on of caretaking or whatever we called it back then. We could meet somebody in the parking lot and 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 um, and buy something. We can't some. stand the gray areas. We don't like those. <laughs> that, that's, well, that, that, I don't expect you would. Um, but And it happened in New York. You mentioned New York. I mean, we all know, if you watch the news, what was going on there. I just find it really interesting from uh, how each state handles it and the rollout of the legal industry. And uh, I think Edmund used the word deliberate. Mitch, um, do you expect it to be deliberate? No, I actually, I, I think it's going to be the opposite of deliberate. I think that the, the new leadership in our state, we have a new governor. Um, he's very uh, intelligent. He's very business minded. And I think that he sees this as what it is, which is very, very low hanging fruit. You know, you can, we have cards right now. We have marijuana, mar medical marijuana cards. Yep. You can literally substitute that card for a driver's license and, and everything else is the exact same. So not turning this, this program on right now, it's, it's all nonsense, right? If we, if we're, if we're all truly, if we truly want to do the will of the people, then we would turn the, the program on July 1st. That's what everybody voted for. Nobody right. read the, the nobody read the fine print to say it's going to be a year or two later. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, yeah. But so, as, as you know, with anything in government, it doesn't go fast. You know, when I was in no the Navy, when I was in the Navy, it was hurry up and wait. You know, there's what? a line you go stood in it. You don't know why, but you didn't want it to get long because you didn't want to be at the end of it. But in um, here, so have I, you noticed? Have you noticed that? It, uh, the last couple states have either gone fast or been unsuccessful, right? So the, 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 uh, our peer is Missouri and Missouri intends to start in February, right? So the, the most successful state up to this point, especially from a tax point of view is Arizona and Arizona started in 90 days, right? So it's like the longer you wait, the more likely you are to have, to have, you have a gray market or a, a, a non-regulated white market. And that's not what anybody's looking for. No, no, and I, I think the big thing you're going to see is is it all depends on how far they are along with their medical market, right? Because that's an easy switch to flip. That's and that's our really medical market did about six hundred and sixty million dollars in sales last year. Yeah, right. So, so we have a hundred dispensaries. Are they talking? Are they talk, so Arizona? What Arizona did, and we, we all know this. I'm guessing if we follow this, is um, immediately allowed the medical dispensaries to turn into adult use as well in Arizona. And that's how they were able to that's, get it done in 90 days. Um, that, 
That's the conversation here as well. Yeah, that's what's okay. Good. Well, that, how many um, do you know how many medical dispensaries there are in Maryland? 102. 102. Do you have a cross state? Uh, in other words, if I came down there with my Massachusetts card, does that give me admittance? We, we call that reciprocity and they do not have reciprocity in the state of Maryland. Okay. So because we're so close to DC, they were always worried. It's actually written into the law, but they were always worried that, uh, that, that would, that would incite the feds. Yeah. Well, uh, once it becomes once it becomes for legal for adult use, you can it's anybody no concerns at all. Exactly right. so, and Maryland's a unique state. Yeah. There's a point in Maryland where we're touched by five different states at one point. Right. You, or what, what, what is it? You can get you can touch five states in 15 minutes of driving at one point in Maryland. So <laughs> yeah. so Maryland, it, it, you know, we have access to a lot of different places and it's Maryland's going to be an epicenter of cannabis in, in, in America. I love I love that. And, and I love that there'll be a, a little bit of a weed battle up and down the East Coast now. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, Massachusetts was first one in. Right, Rob? Yeah, they won't beat us. That's OK, though. Oh, don't <laughs> take it the wrong way, Rob. I'm about to kick your teeth in, my guy. Don't worry about it. I love, I love good competition. Um, Josh or, uh, or Doug, if you want to jump in and ask either one of these guys a question, have, have at it. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to know the difference, uh, Rob and Mitch, uh, between the two. I'm, I'm looking at headsets data from last year, and it looks like uh, Massachusetts for the entire year of 2022 pulled in about almost $1.5 billion compared to Maryland's um, almost half, yeah, $500 million. So Maryland's pulling in a billion dollars more. What's what's you guys' opinions about uh, why? Is, there, is it just more stores? Is it people so coming from out of state? Mass is wreck and Maryland isn't. Yeah. Maryland's Mass medical and Massachusetts is wreck. Right. So so there's a there'll be a huge, and this is what Nick, you're gonna or Mitch, sorry, you're gonna see in Maryland is as it opens for wreck, you're gonna have a huge supply problem because it, depending on how you guys are getting all that and how they regulate that, like in Massachusetts. If you had a med medical license, you had to grow one room for medical product. Whereas if you wanted to sell rec, you had another room for rec. Then they realized how um, insane that is. And insane that is. They just said, hey, you know what? As long as it's tracked and you have a license, whether it's a medical license or a recreational license, you can we can track where that product goes. Doesn't so we actually have a we just like most of the country, we have an oversupply issue in Maryland because while we have a limited number of growers. 18 to 20, they have an unlimited amount of canopy space. So the average grower in Maryland has about 150,000 square feet of grow. So wow. right now we, that I mean, it's square it, foot or canopy. It's square footage. Okay. So but like it, what, what the numbers that I can throw out at you are, are all anecdotal, but you know, how do you store weed? You blast it, right? You make it into oil. We believe that there's, kilograms and just massive amounts of oil stored in the state of Maryland. Like when, when, when rec comes, there's going to be hundreds of thousands of vape carts available in the state of Maryland. The capacity in Maryland is very, very high. So we just don't see that happening at the same time. We also, we've built a model where we have partnerships with the brands and the brands have store within a stores inside of our stores. And so it's like a Nordstrom's model. So one of the things that we're able to do is, you know, it kind of ensures supply because, those suppliers don't want their store within the stores, which basically act as extra storefronts for them to not have supply, right? So for whatever weed is around, should theoretically go to their stores first and then to our store next. Yeah. So, question. So Can Mitch, I ask, go ahead, Tim. Oh, sorry. So Mitch, you don't grow 
in-house everything in your in maryland you no, buy we're, we're not vertically integrated nope okay is there they any got, dispensaries the say again are any of the dispensaries vertically integrated that can they are grow? we have we have a bunch of msos in, in the state of maryland and a couple of local vertically integrated dispensaries but again the price of the weed has dropped about 65 percent in the just the past 12 months what we were selling for 60 dollars last year we're selling for about 25 dollars this year Right. And Rob, you guys in Massachusetts are going through the same thing. Of course, same thing. We're all going through the same thing, man. They well, took all that money out of the stock market that used to build giant grows and they're all overbuilt. So so, what you're going to find is it's going to happen just like it did in Portland and right. Seattle where they've got these massive growth facilities, but they don't have the distribution chain. So being vertically integrated like we are makes a huge difference. So you get into the you know, I've got three stores that I can supply for my 20,000 square feet of canopy. So totally. that's a good amount of product that I can leverage. But like Mitch is saying, you partner with other dispensaries that maybe don't have or do have a grow facility so that you the biggest thing when you look at a store, it's 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 like when you go to a liquor store, right? You don't go to just a Budweiser store or just a uh, exactly right. You don't go to, a, you know, a, a Bud Light store. It I say all the time, nobody shops at the Frito-Lay store. So when we first opened, we thought, hey, we six cultivators should be able to provide us our product. And within the first month, we almost ran out of selling eighths and pre-rolls because that wasn't, we, we couldn't get enough of it. You the need supply, some from everybody. Yeah, our demand in Massachusetts out, outweighed the supply significantly. Now, like Mitch is saying, all these big companies came in and started building these big sites. And what's happening really is there's a lot of smaller cultivators in Massachusetts that are going out of business yeah. or needing capital. And what they end up doing is they end up basically giving away 95% of their business so they can stay alive. Um, and it's because they, they, they maybe run into mold problems and they don't have an extraction system to where they can mitigate that or, or they just don't have the, the supply chain or the distribution chain set up yet. So they're growing it. And like Mitch is saying, they're, they're just putting it into distillate because that's the easiest way to keep it. You know, and I was going to ask, what's the storage? What's the shelf life of uh, distillate versus flour? Uh, you can let, first of all, we, we don't call it distillate. We call it hot dog water. Okay. <laughs> so, so the shelf life of hot dog water could be, who knows? It depends on how nasty you are. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it, it's good for a while. Yeah. Um, you know, and the problem though is anytime we make a product in Massachusetts, it's got a one-year expiration date on it. Exactly. So it's not like I can take all my flour and make distillate and wait three years and then put it in a vape cartridge and go. As soon as I make that distillate, that clock starts from an expiration standpoint. As soon as I make a concentrate, it does that. So that's where it's got to be critical. And this is where you might see a lot of companies going out of business because of the fact that they built too big, just like you saw in Seattle where they had these massive 200,000 square foot facilities that they built out everything. And, you know, it's the field of dreams effect, right? It, this or is like, another reason what you're, what you're alluding to is another reason that I believe we're going to go fast in the state of Maryland, because underlying is the fact that rec can save a lot of local businesses in Maryland. Yeah. At the end of the day, a bunch of people have spent a lot of money and got themselves in very tough positions and wreck it, it, it absorbs all of the available supply. 
you guys both can learn a lot from Washington. You're not going to have 400 tomato farmers, but I don't think you're going to be able to compare it to alcohol industry, but rather more of the uh, tomato or um, coffee. So with, you know, Washington State is the world's leader in hops. So we grow this one hop and then everyone makes their own beer from it. You're not going to have that in the cannabis industry where one manufacturer grows cannabis and then we all make product from it. It's going to be more like tomato farmers who are at the grocery store. That's a collective of really small farmers that come together and, and provide a, one commodity, just like coffee on a global scale. So I think you'll, your shift will come way down. And if you look at the average basket price in Washington, we're only paying $32 on average when we go into a store. In Massachusetts, people are spending on average $72. Maryland, they're spending so, 97 So that depends on the tax. So that's really, if you look at our average cart, like our average cart's about $65, but that's with tax. And, and we, have no, we have no tax. So ours is exactly what you said. Yeah, we have so the highest tax in the whole country, and yet we have the lowest price because of the convenience. You go and buy what you want when you want. So why is it that in Maryland you guys are spending, you know, ninety-seven dollars on average, and in Massachusetts it's only seventy-two? What is the, it's the because it's medical? It's it's, it's number one because it's medical, and number two because the, there is still a. But what, what, what does that mean though to the audience? What does that mean if you're medical, you buying more? Or is it more expensive? It's, it's more medical. expensive. So. So despite our oversupply, our base price is still higher, right? Because we still, we don't have the number of growers. At the end of the day, there's still only 18 growers here that I can buy weed from. Versus you have, correct me if I'm wrong, what, 1,000, 800? We only have like 500 now. It yeah, came they, way down. No, you no, used no. to have 800 and now you have 500, correct? Yep. Oh, it was like 1,500 at first. Yeah. This is exactly my point. So so the, the reason why it is higher is because when medical patients come in, they usually buy a higher quantity for the month as opposed to, and someone might come in, I, I, Mitch, you might be able to talk to this more, but your price also is being controlled by the 18 growers. So he's buying it wholesale. They're setting that price. And to a certain degree, yes. To Especially a the degree. higher quality products and the manufactured products, right? So at the end of the day, my, my guys, I don't have people in the state that sell high quality gummies for the, the cents on a dollar that they do in a place like Washington, right? So if I want the high quality gummies and I live in a, you know, our town's, our stores are our more premium stores. If I want the higher quality products, I'm still, like you said, I'm going to pay a certain price because that's the base price, right? And, and listen, that's how a lot of these businesses are surviving right now, right? So they sell flour at a loss or, or at, at break even, and then they make money on their manufactured products. And listen, like you said, a lot of people are, are, are going out of business right now or are, a lot of people are, are literally selling weed for less than they grow it for for cash. They're trying to keep oh, yeah. the doors open, you know, and, yeah. and you, you saw that in Washington, but really here, when it comes to, to what we're seeing is you've got people coming in that have these massive grows. They have their first harvest. It's not the greatest um, of weed because it's their first harvest. Of course. So what happens is, you know, they try and sell it for that premium price and nobody wants to buy it because they can get better, higher testing THC, better quality for a cheaper price, more consistent price. And then what happens, they get stuck with this glut. So either they extract it all and go super cheap on gummies or edibles, or they, they just sell it at a low price. And you've got your, you know, your $15, $20 apes at that. Yep. So, and then we have, you know, in Maryland, we have one of the larger light depth warehouse uh, greenhouses on the East coast. So we have, you know, a couple of growers who have a, a really low cost to produce. And now, now they're into a point where like, this is what they're built for. 
Yep. You know what I mean? When your cost is 45 or 50 cents a gram, you're built for 15, 20 hour race. That's, that's what right. you're here for. You're here to squeeze the shit out of everybody else when, when you're making money. Well, and that's the, that's the part, like we built our cultivation site in phases. And so we've, we built out 20,000 square feet. We got another 40,000 square feet that we can build out, but I've got to build up that supply chain. And everybody, when they jumped into this industry, thought, hey, I can sell this much. I'm going to make as much as I grow, I can sell. It's like a, not true. Like the, the, the field of dreams, build it, they'll come, right? Yep. And you got to actually apply that whole, um, you know, business model to it to some degree to get that supply chain, slowly grow and, and build as you, as you can try and minimize your costs. Like our entire facility is all about efficiency. You know, we, we use water-cooled LED lights to reheat the air as we, de, you know, de, dehumidify it and send it back in to bring the temperatures up. We recollect all our condensate and reuse it. So a room that normally takes 600 gallons a day, we only end up putting, we reclaim about 90% of that and then just add 60 gallons more to top it off. So when I got 10 grow rooms going at 6,000 gallons a day, instead of using 6,000 gallons of water every day from the city, I only use... 600 because I'm recollecting all that condensate. I'm not just putting it down a drain. So everything we've done all the way to the point where our stems and stock and waste material, we're working with the University of Massachusetts to come up with a hemp-based plastic and cardboard material so that we can actually repurpose our waste and making our own packaging. Wow. So we got to look at things. You got to be prepared because History tells us you look at Colorado, you look at California, Portland or Oregon and Washington, all the states that are open before us, that you're going to get price compression and you've got to be ready for that. It's a fucking weed, man. <laughs> it is, but it takes money to grow. Right. No, but at the end of the day, right, it, it does not take a lot of money to grow it shitty. It takes it takes money, time, expertise and genetics to grow it well. Yeah, right. And right. that's the thing. That's when you look at, I always try and compare this to alcohol. People are like, you know, you can buy well vodka all day long, you know? And when we first turned 21, the, 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 we were looking at the highest alcohol content of what we bought. So we're sometimes drinking grain alcohol thinking we're great. Right. Then you get older and you realize that, Hey, that's not really what I like. I want, you know, I want a whistling pig or I want a great goose vodka. I don't want the well vodka. And that's where you've got to focus on quality from day one. And that's how we, everything about us is, is driving that quality. Cause you know, Sam Adams sells a lot of beer and I use Sam Adams cause I'm from Boston and I actually like it. But when you look at Budweiser, they got a bigger operations, but when Sam Adams came up, they were doing it here in Massachusetts and they focused on quality and that's, that's what you got to really get in. Let's run all the way back to the beginning when he said he was going to Massachusetts was going to beat Maryland. You ready? Yeah. I didn't, what I, believe. We, I didn't say that we were going to. I just, well, I believe, right? He just spent a bunch of time. <laughs> he just spent a bunch of time talking to me about efficiency as a grower, right? And right. I suspect that a whole bunch of his day is spent. And by the way, more power to you, but thank God, I thank God every day that I didn't win all, all three licenses because I don't want to be a farmer. Right. I'm a retailer, right? And right. Yeah. you want to know how efficient I am? I'm so efficient that I don't have a grow. Yeah, <laughs> I have great I have great relationships where no matter what I get I have the best selection and the best prices and the best relationships in the entire state and I have I also have you know everybody overbuilt so I actually have my own grow rooms inside of some of the growers so that I can bring my own genetics and I can basically do some of the things that you're able to do 
without the truth is without the risk. And while my downside is smaller, my upside is, is smaller as well. But remember, I'm a retailer. What I'm looking for is uniqueness. Um, I'm looking for strains that a lot of people, exclusivity, things that drive sales, right? Things that drive traffic. Because at the Quality. end of the day, I, I want to be, I want to be total wine. I don't want to be Seagram's. I don't want to be um, Budweiser. I want to be total wine. Everybody can do what they want. No you know? question. And, and there's different places. There's different places for people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Can I talk to you guys about those sales? Because it's, it's 2023 now. So I kind of want to take a look at 2022 as well as 2023 and beyond and see why your sales are the way they are. In Massachusetts, again, looking at this headset data, in January of last year, you were you had sales that were 48% increased year over year. And then that significantly we're dropped. down 25% so across the board. Maryland's even worse. Maryland on average had a negative 5% uh, per month year over year decrease. Why is there a difference where people going outside of Maryland? Price compression. That's because there's only, well, you only have 18 people you can buy from. I can't see that as price compression because unless you've got way too much supply. Because if there's five other states coming in and now they're not coming in and they're going somewhere else, that could explain it And this year I sell an eight for 30. That's price compression. Well, you're also getting more competition. So like here in Massachusetts, a good example for our, our Haverhill store has gone down about 5% uh, per month for the last three or four months because another competitor opened up in our area. So there are a lot of reasons for that. You know, you look at like Maine's got a pretty strong market that's near us. Connecticut's going wreck. Rhode Island's going wreck. New York's going wreck. So it's eventually going to, people are coming to see us over the border states like we're right near new hampshire which is great because new hampshire won't go legal recreationally until the, the it's federally legal and they'll control it like they do with the alcohol you can't buy any alcohol unless you buy it from a state liquor store and all they're going to do is just make more shelves in there and then you can buy cannabis from them so for us that's going to take a while maybe two three more years i don't i mean from a retail standpoint mitch you know the the biggest issue as to why we went into cultivation was for 280e tax purposes right it allows us to actually keep some of our money instead of give it all away to the government you think i was criticizing i'm not criticizing the truth is i have no desire to be a farmer when i go to these people's <laughs> grows right i'm not i'm not excited about that i'm excited about retail like we've yeah. built ten thousand square foot stores with unique experiential experiences and and secret doors that go to vip rooms and like i'm trying to be the best retailer on the east coast i have no desire to to be a, a farmer and that being said right you know, I have a lot of relationships. I have access to a lot of genetics. So I want my genetics in this market because the weakest part of our market is definitely the genetics. And I'm, I'm sure you know that a lot of the genetics that are the best in the world are controlled by people who aren't related to corporations, right? So accessing those genetics for the, the big, the larger multi-state organizations, it's basically impossible. So what we have is a country full of people who are growing mids. Hey, guys, uh, I think the two of you should have your own show. I'm just saying. Uh, I thought that was uh, by far the best half hour I've had to do in a long time since I didn't have to do much. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, Rob, tell us where the locations are of the CNA stores. Go ahead. Uh, Haverhill, Massachusetts, uh, 558 River Street, and then 85 Macy, or, sorry, 80, 77. 77 Macy Street, Namesbury, Massachusetts. We have a third store that'll be open uh, this summer in Boston, right down by the JFK Museum. So, oh, cool! Right outside UMass Boston. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. Hey, uh, Mitch Remedy, 
How, where do, it's in Colombia, isn't it, Marilyn? Where are you? We have two remedies. We have Remedy Colombia is a eight eight six five um, Stanford Boulevard. We just moved into ten thousand square foot superstore. It's amazing. And then we also have a store in um, Baltimore. It's actually in security off of the uh, six ninety five at Security Boulevard. So uh, yeah, we we have two stores, and then we're working on a third as well. Fantastic. Well, Rich, again, thanks for uh, such short notice. Tess Woods does a great job, so I really appreciate that. It's my pleasure. Uh, Rob, always a pleasure to talk with you anytime. And Rob, Scott good luck is, with everything. Thank, thank you. you sure, thank man. you, guys. And we're going to take a break and come back on the other side, and I'm going to unveil what the top five news stories were in cannabis, according to our viewership, okay, in the next half hour. Don't oh. go away. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season 1 of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.